The question I want to start with today is why are you here? I mean, not at church. Why are you here in San Francisco? Why are you here in the Bay Area? Why are you here wherever you live? Some of you are here because of your career. Some of you are here because of school. Some of you are here because you were born here and never left. Some of you are here because you want to get your city experience wiggles out before you settle down with a family in some suburb somewhere. And some of you have no idea why you're here. You're just here existing. And all of these might be valid reasons to be here in a city like ours, but what if I were to tell you that there's an even greater purpose for you being here? I mean, when's the last time, just think about it, when's the last time you really stopped and asked God, God, why am I here? Out of all the places in the world I could live, why here? What I want you to know today is I believe there's a greater purpose for you being here than just your career or for a paycheck or to climb up the corporate ladder. There's a greater reason for you being here than just your degree. There's a greater reason for you here. And God has something for you here that is beyond you. There is a God-ordained reason why God brought you here to San Francisco. And whether you're here for a few years, a few months, or for life, in Jesus' name, God wants you to tap into what he has purposed for you here. And this isn't just for our city. This is applicable wherever you live, whether it's Seattle, New York, Chicago, Hawaii, Wakanda. It doesn't matter. And in this collection, I want us to reconnect to the God-given purpose for why we live where we live. I think most of us don't have a problem connecting to our professional purpose here or our academic purpose or our relational purpose. But what about the divine purpose for why God has called us to where we are? You are not here by accident. You aren't called to aimlessly wander from city to city year by year without a connection to God's purpose for that area. There's a reason why God's brought you here today. And so in this collection, we're going to lean into God's heart for our city, and maybe for some of you who don't live here in San Francisco, lean into God's heart for where I live and God's purpose for what he has for us there. So let me just open us up in one more prayer, and then we'll jump right in. God, would you open our hearts to hear your word? Would you give us your heart for the city? Would you give us your heart for where we live? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing we have to understand, God loves cities. And you know, I think he loves suburbs too, but I think he really loves cities, okay? No offense to suburbs. I mean, I'm a city boy through and through. I love the city. Anytime I visit a small town or drive to a suburb somewhere to go to H-Smart, part of me aches for the energy and the life of the city, uh, just a little history. Some of you might have known this already, but I have deep roots here in San Francisco. My grandfather migra- uh, immigrated with our entire family here to San Francisco, sold all of their belongings to come here, and he was pastoring at a church that still exists today near Balboa Bart Station. And then my parents, they grew up here in San Francisco as well. They had a business in Japantown. You guys know the Japanese market in Japantown on the corner? Right across on the other side, on that other corner, used to be a bowling alley, and on that corner specifically used to be a coffee 
coffee shop that they owned. And so I grew up in the city in Japantown. They had this amazing arcade and bowling alley and coffee shop. And so I loved the city. I used to be that kid at Golden Gate Park that would bring a cardboard box and slide down the concrete slide. And sometimes the cardboard box would slip off my butt and I would get butt burn. I'm that kid that grew up here in the city. I have deep roots. My cousin, who's a famous comedian, grew up here in San Francisco as well. I just have so much connection to the city. I love the city. But none of you care if I love the city. What does God think about the city? The thing we have to understand is cities aren't just man-made. They're not just humanly imagined. Cities are God-designed. We see in Genesis, in the very beginning, that creation started in a garden, just like that out there. I mean, that's probably what it looked like. It's so beautiful. It started in a garden, but that's not where it's ending. Revelation 21, at the end, the other tail end of the Bible, describes God's endgame, the complete redemption of the world manifested in a city called the New Jerusalem, where there will be no more tears, no more sickness or pain, complete shalom, wholeness and creative flourishing all around us. In other words, it started in a garden, but it's ending in a city, a city with the crystal river running through it, kind of like Chicago. I mean, Chicago is pretty much the closest thing we have to heaven here on earth, right? And on each side of the river is the tree of life bearing fruit and leaves, which brings healing to the nations. It's from this city where healing flows to the rest of the world. In other words, the city is important in God's redemptive purposes for the world. I think when we look back to the, the garden and the story in Genesis, when God commands Adam and Eve to have dominion and fill the earth, he wasn't just commanding them to make a lot of babies. I mean, he was, but that's not all he was commanding them to do. It's more than that. He was tasking them to build God-honoring civilizations, advancing science, advancing medicine, art, music, architecture, health, human society to create and innovate, to steward and advance creation. In essence, God was tasking Adam and Eve to be city builders, We think that if sin hadn't entered our world, we would all be vegans living in some primitive jungle somewhere. We might still be vegans, but no, the plan was always for humanity to expand and advance creation, reflecting God's creativity and love. That's why I think even if sin hadn't entered the world, we would still have Pixar, because You meet God when you watch a Pixar film. Just like Alex had that emotional connection to the animated film, there are some things in creation that are so beautiful that advance God's heart. And that was the mandate for Adam and Eve. In other words, a city isn't just our idea. It's God's idea. And when we understand this, what an honor it is to live where we do. We are living in the epicenter of God's dream and heart for our world. We are living in the foreshadowing of our eternal dwelling place, the new Jerusalem. I think one of the most beautiful images we see in Revelation is a scene where most of you probably know it. There's the multitude from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. They're gathering around the throne of God and they're worshiping. I was thinking about this. Where in the world do we see people gathering from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue? Disneyland, right? 
But besides Disneyland, the city. Here in the city, we see people from all over the world coming together. I remember when I was in Kentucky, my soul was aching because when I opened Yelp, there was not a diverse collection of different foods that I could eat. You know, if you've ever been to places like Missouri or Minnesota, your soul will weep if you eat their Asian food, right? The city, on the other hand, attracts people from all over the world. The city becomes this melting pot of different cultures, languages, and cuisines. I mean, it was shocking when I met people for the first time who had never eaten pho before. I was like, what the pho, bro? Like, you've never tried pho before? All these people from the Midwest never tried all these things that we have access to living in a diverse city like we do. And one of the reasons why cities tend to lean more liberal and have more empathy for people of different cultures, different sexualities, different lifestyles, is because they're not just a concept in our heads anymore. They're our neighbors, right? The immigrant isn't just a policy issue now. There are baristas at the local coffee shop. Gay people aren't just a point in the theological debate. There are coworkers and classmates and friends, And so we see the city becomes this this breeding ground for diversity in different cultures. But cities aren't just diverse in culture. They're diverse socioeconomically. They're diverse in levels of privilege. Um, I think Tim Keller says it best. The city attracts both the quote-unquote strongest and the weakest people in our world. In other words, the city attracts the most talented doctors, filmmakers, musicians, artists, businessmen and women, bodybuilders, and gym owners. The city attracts the privileged and the wealthy and the yuppie. But the city also attracts the poor, the immigrant, the refugee, the outcast. In fact, in the earliest days, cities provided refuge from wild animals and criminals that were out on the road. In fact, when Israel first entered the promised land, the first cities directed by God to build were known as cities of refuge, where people accused of crimes wouldn't just get slain in the street, but they could find refuge in these cities to get their fair due trial. And even to this day, we see that cities are like places of refuge for immigrants like my parents and my grandparents and refugees fleeing from their countries for better opportunities. We see people experiencing homelessness flocking to the cities to seek better resources. We see uh, people on the outliers, the other, the outcast because of their lifestyle and sexuality coming to the city to find a place of belonging. It's diverse. This is why when you walk out of Stone Mill Matcha on the mission— and you walk about 15 minutes down mission, you'll notice things change very drastically. This is why when you hop from the marina to Soma to the Castro to the Tenderloin, you experience a wide variety of cultures and class. And so the beautiful thing is cities in a unique way reflect what the kingdom of God will look like. People of every nation, tribe, and tongue all together in one place. And this is important because diversity of cultures brings forth the fullness of creation. In other words, every culture carries a unique expression of the heart of creator God. Every culture has unique gifts to contribute to the flourishing of our world. I remember the first thing I realized when I visited Mozambique was that we Americans do not know what it means to dance. It's so sad. If you go to their church service, like there's so much energy, there's so much dancing. I'm doing a poor rendition of it, but I learned to dance from them. 
And I'm thinking, man, in our churches, we dance like this. Or there's the white people with flags that dance like this, right? But Africans know how to dance. They know how to worship God, especially in the church. I remember for the longest time, I grew up in an immigrant church in a Korean church, and I was dying to get out of the Korean church. But when I got out, I began to see the beauty. One of the strengths of the Korean church is they know how to pray. In fact, charismatic white people have dubbed a term for how to pray. They call it Korean prayer style, where we pray out loud and we pray loud. Koreans, if you go to a Korean prayer meeting, you might think they're about to die because they're yelling, Chuya! at the top of their lungs. They're crying. They're weeping. They're the only people that I know that wake up at 4 a.m. every single weekday to go to church to pray. So diversity brings out the fullness, the richness of creation, of the expression of God's heart for humanity. And cities are significant because they reflect this diversity. They express the richness of creation. But cities are also significant not just for their diversity, but because they directly influence culture. Think about how Los Angeles influences entertainment. Think about how San Francisco influences technology or how New York influences fashion and finances. Think about how Nashville influences hot chicken, right? All of these places, these cities become direct influencers of culture. In other words, when we reach the city, we can reach culture. When we look at the early church's playbook, their strategy was to plant churches in major cities Because they knew that these cities were the engine for cultural change all around the world. And so living in a city like ours, we have a unique opportunity to impact culture in ways most people cannot. What an honor, right? What a privilege to partner with God in that. And so all these beautiful and amazing things, diversity, diversity, cultural influence, progress. But I know you're thinking, but Mickey... It's not beautiful here in the city. We don't see the beauty of different diverse cultures coming together in harmony. We see division. We don't see people impacting culture. We see culture impacting us. See, all these are beautiful and amazing things, but what happens? Sin enters into the picture. Remember my favorite definition of sin? Do you guys remember a few collections ago? Sin is a human propensity to F up. Sin is the human propensity to F up, to F things up. And that's exactly what we've done when cities should be the place where diversity and the richness of creation thrives. In fact, it's the other. While the diversity of the city can be beautiful, like people trying new ethnic foods for the first time, people having friends that don't all look or think like them, people being open to new ideas and learning from one another, Diversity can easily turn into racism, into classism, into tribalism, into segregation. People in fear of the other, huddling with others that only look or think like them. People judging or condemning others who are different from quote-unquote normal. People afraid to step into that neighborhood. And while the power to impact culture can be a beautiful thing, it can easily turn into workaholism. Burnout and exhaustion, pride and arrogance, excess. I mean, come on, y'all in tech, you know this. Just think about the company that you work for. Nothing about your work culture is conducive to creating a healthy, sustainable work-life balance. These companies, 
don't get it twisted. You might have some great benefits, but what they want from you is profit and progress at whatever cost. And so we see all these beautiful things that the city was meant to embody, encapsulate, distorted by our human propensity to F things up. But this is where God comes in. And this is the passage that we're going to look at and we're going to draw from the rest of the collection. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is a prophetic word that the prophet Jeremiah is giving to the exiles. You know, if you know that the people of God were exiled from their homeland, from their country, and they did not have a place to call home. And during this time of exile, as they were settling down in cities that were not theirs, in Babylon, in different foreign nations, this is the prophetic word that God gives to them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In our last collection, we talked about how we in a sense, are like exiles in our world, that the way of Jesus is so foreign to the way of our city, of our workplaces, of our culture. If you've ever felt the tension of following Jesus here in a city like ours, it's because the tension is real. And the question becomes, how do we impact our city? How do we impact a culture that is so different from the culture of God? And I love that God's command to these exiles that were like foreigners settling in a strange land. That's kind of like us believers coming and settling into a city like San Francisco. His command to them was to find a place to live, get a job, settle down, start a family, and contribute to the good of the city. No command to topple the powers that be, or take over industry for God, or convert the entire city to Yahweh. Just be part of the city and seek its peace and prosperity. So simple. I mean, we love to complicate the gospel. We think God wants us to lead our entire office to Jesus. How about start by making a friend at your workplace? We think God wants to spark a revival movement across the entire Bay Area that leads heathens to repentance. How about starting by getting to know your neighbor? We, want, we think God wants us to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons in the street of our city. How about saying hi to the guy that's sitting on the street that you pass by every single day and you ignore on the way to work? And it's not that those other things aren't important. I mean, I want to see revival in our city. I want to see people come to know Jesus. But we forget that it's not just those things that are part of our calling. We often forget that we cannot reach a city that we have not touched. We cannot reach a city that we have not become a part of. You know, I was a barista for a year and a half or a half a year in 2019. The problem is... Before that, I never touched coffee. In fact, I hate coffee. In fact, my first day of work, I actually got the job because Krista got the job and she put in a good word for me. My manager comes up to me. He's like, what kind, of, what kind of coffee do you like? Do you like espresso, Americano? I was like, I don't really like coffee. And I could see in his eyes his hatred, like, why did I hire you then? Listen, don't trust a barista that's never touched 
coffee. In the same way, we cannot reach a city we have not touched. We cannot reach a city we have not embraced. We cannot reach a city we have not loved. We forget You know, we think about Jesus's life and we think, oh my God, he preached so many amazing sermons. He healed the sick. He raised from the dead. We forget that 30 years of his life was spent living and working and planting himself in a small town community, simply doing life with people for 30 years. We forget that. We take Jesus's three years and think this is how we're supposed to live. We forget the 30 years of him just chilling of going to the neighbor, neighbor barbecue, of sitting with a friend and having a cup of tea, of eating with the person across the street. We forget that before Jesus changed the world, he planted himself in a small town. He lived there. Exactly what the prophet Jeremiah is saying. Do not underestimate the power of simply planting yourself somewhere and doing life there as you follow Jesus. You know, I'm a native. I was born here in San Francisco. I'm so happy that our son will be born in San Francisco, too, at the exact same hospital, actually, I think. I I was born on Geary as well. And that's why this is very personal to me. I believe that there's nothing more damaging to the witness of the church than believers who've come into our city seeking revival who haven't invested a single ounce of effort into actually getting to know the city, meet its people, hearing their needs, walking with them, living with them. You know, maybe some of us have a witness in our workplace because we haven't actually taken the time and effort to be a part of our workplace, to really integrate, to know the people. Maybe some of us have no witness in our city because we haven't taken time to get to know our city, to hear its heartbeat, to know its ins and outs. And so this is what the prophet Jeremiah is saying. Settle down, build houses, Work and serve the prosperity and the good of the city. Now, we're almost done here. I just want to share four types of churches that we find in the city. And you can guess which one we want to be and which one we probably are right now. The first is a church in the city. And this church meets in the city but has little or no effect on the city around it. They just meet in the city because there's a venue available for them, okay? So a church in the city. The second is a church against the city. Maybe some of you have grown up knowing these kind of churches. The church has an us versus them mentality. And so if I could make it to Wednesday night prayer and avoid the evil of my city and come to the refuge of God, then I've done it. The church is good and the city is bad. And so we need to isolate ourselves from the evil of our city. The third, a church of the city. Now, a church of the city has bent so far to the culture that it ceased being a salt and light in the city. Church just becomes another social gathering that looks exactly like everything else in the city. And in the midst of trying to be relevant, they lost the saltiness of the gospel. And the last, a church for the city. A church that seeks shalom for the city, the welfare and the flourishing of this city for the glory of God. What church do you think we are? Don't answer me. I might get sad. I believe (laughs) that God wants us to be not a church just in the city, not a church against the city, not a church of the city, but a church for the city. If 99 moved to New York, 
like everyone else seems to be doing these days, for some reason, would San Francisco notice? Would the mission district care if we no longer met here to worship? Would our absence even make a difference? If you transferred, maybe in your context, if you transferred out of your work team, would anyone feel it? Not just for what work you, you contribute to the team, but what energy, what atmosphere, what, what heart you carry to the team. If you moved out of your neighborhood, would anyone even notice? Honestly, man, I just felt conviction sweep across the room. Some of us don't even know our neighbors' names. And maybe these are the questions we should be asking ourselves before we ask God, why aren't you releasing revival in my neighborhood? Hey, why don't you meet your neighbor first? God, why aren't you moving in my workplace? Do you even, have you built relationships with your, this is what the prophet Jeremiah is encouraging us to do. And so I know you guys love lists. I'm going to give you one last one as we close here. Um, Tim Keller, he describes five different types of people in the city. And as you're hearing these descriptions, I want you to ask yourself, which one am I? And which one do I want to be? The first one are commuters. And commuters use the city for their own goals. And whether they're commuting into the city or they're actually living in the city, it doesn't matter. They're using the city just for their own benefit. They use the city to advance their career, to find their future spouse, to fulfill their dream. But there's no investment or heart or care for the city. It's simply something to be used for my benefit. Okay? Commuters. The second, survivors. They despise the city and can't wait to get out. I mean, I actually know one of my good friends, Isaac, I'll just name him by name. He was a survivor. He just could not wait to get out of the city because he's a country farm boy kind of deal. And he just couldn't vibe with the city. And they can't wait to get out. There's, they're only here right now because they need to be. And as soon as that need is fulfilled, they're out. And survivors oftentimes judge and criticize the city. It's so dirty. It's so uppity. And they refuse to be a part of the city. The third, consumers. I love this. San Francisco, this is probably it. Consumers enjoy the city for its superficial qualities. Consumers romanticize the city. They often use the language of loving the city, but it might be more accurate to say they love the experience of the city. Oh my God, you have to have sand tongue. The avo toast from Provender, oh my God, it's so good. The people who are consumers don't actually love the city. They just love their experience of the city. They put little time and effort into supporting the life and the health of the city. They tend to only remain in the cool, sophisticated, hip, and trendy, Instagrammable parts of the city that are fun for them. And they don't make an effort to tap into the pain, into the cries, into the concerns, into the prospering and the peace of the city. The fourth, natives. I have a few natives in here, but this isn't just natives, people who grew up in San Francisco. Natives are those who take the city for granted in its familiarity. You know, they're indifferent to the city. They aren't willing to make any special investments of time, money, and life into the city, and they've forgotten how beautiful and how special of a place it really is. Maybe some of you have been here so long that you've lost the beauty and the wonder of how amazing the city is. In the last which I want all of us to be, as we dive deeper into this in this collection, lovers of the city. Lovers of the city love the city for the deep things. 
They see the neighborhoods and the people. They hear the city's joys and delights. They feel the city's pain and frustration. They engage in its growth, in its development and transformation. They participate in justice and help the overlooked and forgotten. They seek the shalom of the city. God calls each and every one of us that are here to be lovers of the city, a church for the city. Our dog, Fig, has an arch nemesis that lives here in San Francisco. Her name is Virginia. It's, it's his groomer. And the other day, Krista asked me to Venmo Virginia because her daughter was in town for the weekend and she wanted to buy them a meal. And I thought, wow, this is what it means to love the city. Every month I get to hang out with my barber and actually know what's going on in her life and share what's going on in mine. And I get to pray for her specific needs. That's what it means to love the city. I remember Alex a few months ago feeling concerned for those experiencing homelessness in our city and how the pandemic was affecting them. And he put together bags of food and helpful information and handed them out to them. That's what it means to love the city. When Jane goes to rallies for injustice, that's loving our city. We have a resident Gen Zer who's been coming to every one of our services that isn't here today, Emily, who works and, and lives in the Tenderloin for YWAM SF, serving one of the most vulnerable neighborhoods in our community. That's what it means to love our city. Now, I know not everyone feels like they're called to the city, and that's okay. I get it. If it's not your vibe, you don't see yourself in the city long-term. You don't see yourself here long-term, but if you're here right now, I'm sorry, but you are called to the city, even if it's just for right now. And so this is for you. That wherever God has planted us, that we would seek the flourishing and the love and the thriving of the city. Instead of using the city or judging the city or being impartial to the city or enjoying the superficial parts of the city, what if we could truly love the city? What if we could be a church that if we were to leave here, that our city would notice, that our neighborhood would notice? I believe that's what God's called us to lean into in this collection, in this next season especially as people are, you know, getting ready to transition. I want, if you're not, if you're moving out of San Francisco, I want you to carry this heart to whatever city you're going to, to whatever, whatever suburb you're living in. This is God's heart for the church, for his people, wherever we live. So right now, I want to invite you into a time of response. Why don't we close our eyes? And I want you to ask yourself, in the list of the five different types of people in the city, Which do you resonate with? Are you a commuter? Where you're simply using the city, you're using the season of life to advance your career, to find the love of your life, to start a family. You're using the city for your own purposes. Or maybe you're a survivor. You can't stand the city. You're one of those that thinks the city is a wicked place and you just can't thrive here. It's not conducive to a healthy life and you have no investment in the city. Maybe you're a consumer where you just enjoy the city for its superficial qualities. You love the food, you love the coffee, but you don't really know about what the city is bleeding for or crying out for, what what the city has on its heart. 
Or maybe you're a native where you've just become indifferent and apathetic to the city. Whatever it is that you feel like right now, why don't we reflect in this time with God and say, God, I want to be a lover of the city. I don't just want to use the city. I don't just want to enjoy superficially what the city has to offer me. I don't want to hate the city or be indifferent to the city. I want to love the city here where you planted me. There is a God-given purpose for me right here. And it begins with me making a decision in my heart that I will be a lover of the city, that I will settle down here. I will plant my roots for however long I'm here. I'll get to know my neighbors. I'll invest in this place where I live because it's more than just what pays my rent. It's more than just where I lay my head. This is a a place where you have called me to impact. This is the place where you've called me to pour out your love and to seek your shalom. God, I thank you. I thank you for every single one that's in here, every single one that's tuning in online. I thank you for the opportunity to be planted in a city like ours. I thank you for the privilege of being able to partner with you in seeking the shalom for San Francisco. God, in this season, would you simply connect our hearts to yours? Give us your heart for where we live. Give us your heart for our neighborhood. Give us your heart for our city. We can't do it without you. And so we thank you for the wonderful privilege of being your church that lives for the city. And I pray right now over people who are in seasons of transition that are getting ready to say bye to San Francisco or bye to wherever they've been living for the past few years. I pray in this season, you would show them more than anything the beauty of what you've done here in this season here in our city. And would you give them vision for where you're planting them next? Would you give them vision for the flourishing and the shalom of wherever you've called them to. And for those remaining, would you continue to give us vision so that we can live out what you've called us to do. We love you, God. We honor you. We give you the highest praise. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, we say, amen.